On Mother's Day 1985, Philadelphia did something unthinkable. The city had been engaged in a standoff with a radical organization called MOVE. The helicopter takes off, then... The city dropped a bomb on MOVE's headquarters, killing 11 people, five of them children. My daughters were taken away by this corrupt government! Why is it so many have never heard of the MOVE bombing? Black people will never get justice in America. The Africas versus America, available now everywhere you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Every other small business owner that I know, it's taking every cent for them just to stay alive right now. Across this country, many Canadians are feeling a financial pinch. We're putting a bit of a spotlight on that this morning. Before the news, we talked about people who have to work more than one job to make ends meet. That crunch is also hitting businesses. Everything that you can possibly conceive has gone up. So it's become a struggle just to meet your everyday needs. Our margins are just razor, razor thin to non-existent. There's something really seismic happening. It just hasn't been able to get out of that hole since the pandemic. At the end of the day, we got to figure out, do we keep going? Do we keep betting on ourselves? Do we keep trying and hope that things will be get, get better? Is 2024 going to be a better year? And we got to figure out whether or not we're, we're willing to risk that and keep going. More and more people are, just can't keep going, and that's showing up in climbing bankruptcy numbers. Andre Bulduk is the chair of the Canadian Association of Insolvency and Restructuring Professionals. Andre, good morning. Good morning, Matt. Tell me about the numbers. Where are we at when it comes to bankruptcies in this country right now? Well, when we look at uh, the latest statistics, the quarterly statistics for 2023 in uh, quarter three, insolvencies were up uh, 17.8% for consumers uh, compared to prior year. And for business insolvencies, those were up 41.8% compared to the uh, the prior year. Those are big numbers. And when I take, they are. And when I talk about insolvencies, it's uh, proposals to creditors and bankruptcy. So explain that. I mean, before we get too deep into this, what is the difference between bankruptcy and insolvency? Um. A proposal, if you will, that is also an insolvency is when you make a, an arrangement with your creditors to pay them back a portion of what you owe. Bankruptcy is uh, basically when you cash in all your chips and, you know, you turn over your assets to the trustee and you start over. So about 80% of um, current filings are proposals to creditors where people choose to restructure and pay something back. Go back but, to those uh, numbers. How does that compare yeah. to what was happening before the pandemic? Um, well, the reason we have these big increases is when the pandemic hit, um, insolvency numbers went down overnight uh, by almost 60%. So uh, finances stopped being a priority for people. People were more concerned about their health. Mm. Uh, collections were paused and there was a lot of support in the economy. And then people uh, were spending a lot less money and even saving because they didn't have to drive to go to work, buy lunches and stuff of that nature. Um, so what we've seen, we've been seeing over the last couple of years is uh, a rise back up to pre-pandemic levels. We're almost there. And what's important to understand is where we were at in February 2020 before the pandemic. Um, household uh, to income debt levels um, or debt to a household income was at a record or near record high. We're still there today. That problem hasn't gone away. Inflation was at 1.75% back in February 2020, and it was a concern for individuals. And now we're at 5%, way higher. And cost of living uh, was also a big issue in February 2020. 
now it's you know it's even worse uh, and more of an issue and when you combine combine that with um, a lack of savings by household in general uh, 50% of households is estimated are living paycheck to paycheck um, when people can't make ends meet they have to use credit and when you have to use credit um, especially for uh, ongoing expenses it's it's not a good situation. We just spent half an hour talking about the fact that there are many people, more than a million Canadians, who are working multiple jobs right now to make ends meet. And that speaks to everything that you've said. You've also said, though, that the numbers that you have run down perhaps don't tell the full story when it comes to to how many people in this country are underwater. What do you mean by that? Um, well, <laughs> when we look at all these numbers, you know, we look at averages, right? So... This includes people without debt and people with debt. Um, but the reality is that, you know, there are people with no debt. Um, and it's really people that have debt that uh, have this issue, if you will. Um, the problem is not uh, insolvencies. <laughs> That's a solution to the problem. The problem is the, the large level of indebtedness um, we have in Canada. And is that largely... I mean, people talk about good debt and bad debt. It, it, the, you know, debt can be debt for people who owe money. But is a lot of that credit card debt, is that your sense? Um, you know, there's way more mortgage debt uh, in Canada, and, and there's a fair amount of credit card debt. Uh, the problem is um, when the cost of your mortgage goes up. Um, you know, a mortgage is, is good debt for the most part. You need a place to live. Uh, when the service cost of that goes up, you know, it eats into your budget. Uh, the rising cost of living eats into your budget. And at the end of the day, then you fall behind. You may fall behind on your credit cards or use them more or it snowballs. And that's usually what causes the problem. And that's why it takes probably up to up to it can take up to 18 months for the impact of raising interest rates to actually start translating into more insolvencies and to hit uh, uh, people's budgets. What are you expecting to see in in, in the the months and years ahead? I mean, when you take a look at mortgages, millions of mortgages are coming due uh, in the next year or two, 18 months or so. Um, A lot of people are going to see, because perhaps they were locked into mortgages with very low rates, those rates are going to be a lot higher now. What's that going to mean? Uh, What it's going to mean, it's going to mean we're projecting increased insolvency rates, unfortunately. and, um, you know, we're not seeing that many people that are homeowners right now, but it's steadily increasing and we expect it will continue to increase. What impact does this have on Canadians? I mean, it sounds obvious in some ways, but when, when Canadians are struggling to make ends meet and have to look toward insolvency or bankruptcy, what impact does that have on them? Uh, well, the impact is uh, if you have unmanageable debt, you should be consulting uh, a licensed insolvency trustee. Um, you know, and to look at what solutions are and how you can rectify the situation. Um, unfortunately, too many people wait uh, a long time before seeking help. And that's got a big impact on people's mental health, physical health. And they spend a lot of time and energy <laughs> struggling with their debt, thinking about it, um, uh, even when they're at work. Um, I saw a survey on average people spend 15 hours stressing about their finances every Mm. week. Uh, That's a part-time job alone. We're going to speak with one of those trustees next. Andre, thank you very much. Thank you. Andre Bulldog is the chair of the Canadian Association of Insolvency and Restructuring Professionals. He 
was in Ottawa. Doug Hoyce is a licensed insolvency trustee. His job is to help people solve their financial problems. Doug, good morning to you. Good morning, Matt. What do you hear from people when they call you about the situation that they find themselves in financially? Well, exactly what Andre just described. It's very stressful. The only way you can possibly have debt is if in the past things were going good. You had good enough income that you were able to qualify for a credit card, a car loan, a mortgage. Things were going pretty good. And then something went off the rails. You lost your job. You got sick. You got divorced. You had to you know, lose your job during the pandemic and it hasn't come back. So things are a lot worse than they were now or than they were in the past. You've got all this debt as a result of that and you can't service it. So the, the biggest stress is things were going good and now they're going a lot worse and I don't see a way out. That's that's really the the biggest thing. I don't think my income is gonna catch up and I'm gonna be able to, to get out of debt. So it is indeed a very stressful situation for everyone who's calling us. You work largely with individuals, not with businesses, right? But I mean, this the people have been talking about this when it comes to businesses in part because of the SIBO loans that help those businesses stay afloat during the pandemic, which are now coming due. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I've been receiving, you know, five or 10 calls a day for the last couple of weeks, because of course, yesterday, January 18th was the day you had to pay off the SIBA loan. And we think of SIBA loans as well, they went to businesses. Well, yeah, that's true. But a lot of the people who were calling me were people who ran a hair salon. There are people behind those businesses. Exactly. (laughs) And it's not massive corporations who are getting SIBA loans. Your revenue had to be less than a million and a half dollars in the the prior year in order to qualify for a SIBA loan. So for the most part, these are individuals or very small companies who are getting the loans. And they they might have been corporations or they might have been sole proprietors running this business. I, I talked to one lady this week who had run a hair salon for 40 years and boom, pandemic hit, have to shut down. All their stylists started working from home because they had to make a living. They didn't come back. You know, business is done. So they got the SIBA loan assuming that things would come back and they'd be able to pay it off. But the the business is now closed. So yes, that's a business debt, but it's obviously having a massive impact on the person themselves. So when they call you, and I'll see advertisements, not for you, but for, for businesses like yours uh, on buses and on billboards and on the, the, you see them all over the place, it seems like these days. When they call you and they're in trouble, what do you do? We do triage. It's kind of like going to the ER. So I say, okay, tell me the situation. Um, What does your month look like? How much comes in? How much goes out? Because maybe you can tweak your budget a bit, free up some cash. Maybe like you talked about in your previous segment, you get a second job. Maybe you bring in a roommate, whatever it takes, and you can free up enough cash. You can service the debt yourself. Fantastic. You don't need me. The second question is, do you have any assets that you can sell? Well, yeah, we've got a second car. We work from home now. Maybe we can sell that and generate some money. Great. Maybe you got some money in a TFSA or something. But most of the people, by the time they're contacting me, they've already thought of all that stuff. They've tried to increase their income, reduce their expenses. They don't have any assets to sell. So at that point, we say, well, if you're worried about the creditors taking you to court and suing you and garnishing your wages, there are two ways to prevent that other than paying them. And that is a consumer proposal or a bankruptcy. So we walk them through those options and help them determine whether one of those options is correct for them. What's a consumer proposal? It's a deal. So the typical person who's going to contact uh, my firm, Hoyes Michaelis, has debts of, let's say, somewhere in the $50,000 range. And I'm talking unsecured debts, credit cards, bank loans, payday loans, income taxes. And 
they can't afford to pay that back. They might be making, you know, $3,000 a month. They got to pay rent. It's not possible. So we talk about a bankruptcy, but eh, bankruptcy has some negative uh, implications. The more money you make, the more you got to pay while you're bankrupt. People don't want to go bankrupt. So we offer a deal. So the deal might be, hey, creditors, if I go bankrupt based on the way the math works, I might have to pay, you know, $5,000, $7,000, lose my tax refund. But how about I make a deal where I offer you $12,000? or $18,000, $200 a month, $300 a month over a five-year period, the creditors go, okay, well, that's better for us than bankruptcy. And the debtor says, yeah, I don't want to go bankrupt. I can certainly afford two or $300 a month. So we go to the creditors. They each get to vote on it. If the majority based on dollars say yes, then the deal's done. And that's why, as Andre said, of all the personal insolvencies filed in Canada these days, 80% of them are consumer proposals, only 20% are bankruptcies. How often are you successful in helping people reduce the amount of money that they owe? Very close to 100% Hmm. because we are making a deal that works for both parties. I'm not going to file a proposal and say to the big bank, hey, you want five bucks a month? Because I know they're going to say no to that. And I'm also not going to say, hey, how about $1,000 a month? Because I know the debtor can't afford that. We've already looked at their budget to make sure we understand what, what's affordable. So if there is no proposal to be done, well, then we're not, we're not going to offer it. We're going to go the bankruptcy route or something else. But in most cases, it is a win-win. The debtor gets a break but they come up with a payment that's affordable and the creditors are getting some money, which is what they want. So in most cases, we can work out a deal. How do you get paid? I get a percentage of the payment each month. So and I'm so, a license. And, and so that's paid by the debtor? Well, it comes out of the creditor's share. I guess it depends how you look at it. So I'm a licensed insolvency trustee, licensed by the federal government. Our fees are set by the government. So in a consumer proposal, we get you know, out of the money that's being distributed. So in my example, where there's, you know, $300 a month for five years being distributed, we would get $1,500 plus 20% of the money that's going to the creditors. So the debtor's paying $300 and the creditors are getting, well, 200 and something a month is how it works. So it's really coming out of the creditor's share of, of what the debtor's paying. There are there are no upfront fees or additional costs in a consumer proposal. Just before I let you go, I mean, one of the things when people are in desperate situations, they look for relief and they may call you, but they may also be approached by other people who will offer them some relief. We can help you get out of this problem. We can help you ease this debt. And that can be a legit way to ease that burden or it can be a scam. What should people be watching out for? Well, do you want to go to a medical doctor or some guy in the street corner, I think is the question. So I agree with Andre. The only people in Canada who are licensed to deal with debt, who are licensed to file a consumer proposal or a bankruptcy are licensed insolvency trustees. So if you've responded to some ad on Facebook and they say, oh, you got to send us the information, here's what the upfront fee is, then it's a scam. A licensed insolvency trustee is not allowed to charge an upfront fee. So if you're paying an upfront fee, unless you're dealing with a lawyer, um, or an accountant or something, then it's almost for sure a scam. You're dealing with an unlicensed, unregulated debt consultant who's going to take your money mm. and then refer you to an, a licensed insolvency trustee. So you, you want to avoid that at all costs. Expect to be busy over the next few months? Yeah, my prediction for this year was that in Ontario, personal insolvencies will increase by 30%. So that'll certainly put us well above 2019 levels. So we're uh, we are ready. Doug, thank you. Thanks, Matt. Doug Hoyes is a licensed insolvency trustee with Hoyes Michaelis. He was in Kitchener, Ontario. 
Grab your VIP pass. We're delving into the secretive world of Formula One. Behind the scenes with two of the sport's biggest names, Mercedes and Williams. This is not coal mining, this is Formula One motor racing. As they build their new cars. We want to be so much further ahead. We are in permanent racing mode. And face shocking headlines. Here's Lewis Hamilton moving away from Mercedes. I'm Joseph Fiennes and this is F1, back at base. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Stephanie Beneshai is a distinguished research professor at Osgoode Hall Law School. She specializes in bankruptcy and financial crises. Stephanie, good morning to you. Good morning, Matt. What do you make of what's happening right now when it comes to, we've just been talking about the statistics, but behind those statistics right. are people and individual stories and the stress and the heartbreak of owing money that perhaps people can't afford to pay. What do you make of what's happening right now? Well, when we look at uh, consumer bankruptcy filing numbers, as both uh, Doug and Andre have pointed out to, they don't tell the whole story. Um, They tell part of the story of a system where there is extreme economic disparities. And to a certain extent, some people are able to access the bankruptcy system in order to deal with their severe financial issues. Um, But not all people are able to do that. Bankruptcy is a is a regulated option, and it's great in that regard, but it continues to be quite expensive. In order to file a straight bankruptcy, it typically costs about $2,000. And uh, as Doug mentioned, there's variability in how much a consumer proposal costs, but it can be around $5,000. And that's not something uh, that's readily available to a consumer to shop around and compare for, Mm. like other services. Um, So there is a challenge in terms of being able to assess your options when you are facing extreme debt as a consumer. Uh, And there's a lot of disinformation that's out there, a lot of confusion around the debt relief market. Uh, It's unclear what each of the uh, possible stakeholders can offer you. Uh, You see a lot of advertising, uh, go to this place and all your debts will be raised and you'll be able to sleep at night. Um, The only regulated option are licensed insolvency trustees, but it's difficult for the average consumer to take that information apart and figure out exactly who to speak to and how much it will cost for them to get relief. We've spoken with so many small businesses on this program who, Mm -hmm. during the pandemic, their business, as we heard, just evaporated, and they had to take on that SEBA, that federal loan, to try and stay afloat. That loan came due yesterday. And people were panicking, trying to figure Mm -hmm. out where they were going to find money that Mm -hmm. they didn't have. How concerned are you about what we saw when it came to the repayment schedule for that loan and and the impact of that? Right. Um, Well, there remains quite a bit of uncertainty around how this program will play out now that that deadline has been reached. It seems like there is some continued scope for flexibility in the debt repayment options. Um, there was an option to go and get a bank to help you refinance it. And ultimately, these are, unless uh, the actual person or business that's taken on this loan has done something different, they're unsecured debts. So an option that will be available to these businesses that have taken these loans is to file for bankruptcy, and then these debt they will no longer owe those debts. Um so again, that will be part of the thinking and part of the negotiating mm. in the sense that that stands at the other side of the table. You said that um, most people who file for bankruptcy spend a long time in the sweat box. What is the right. sweat box? 
it's a, it's a great place for credit card companies and creditors because it's when they're paying a lot of interest and struggling and doing everything they can. Um, it's If you're the type of person that gets your credit card statement and pays your bill right away, you're not a great customer as far as, far as your credit card company is concerned because they're not really making money on you. If you're the kind of person that pays a small amount each month and struggles and struggles and struggles, you're great as far as your lenders are concerned because they're making money off of you. And many people will do that for an extended period of time before they start to consider the option of a fresh start. How long, do, how long, how long do people generally spend, it sounds like an unpleasant place to be, in the yeah. sweat box before they realize um, that their options are limited? It really varies in terms of uh, how many places they can go to help their sweat box. They're often aided by um, high-cost lenders, sometimes referred to as payday lenders, who now have other products like installment loans that have re- this that's also received a lot of attention lately. At very I mean, high, at very high interest rates. Very high interest rates. Um, and uh, we, we've actually, together with uh, my co-author Saul Schwartz, we've recently completed a study of the. 2015 consumer uh, proposals that were filed and found that the greatest predictor of failure of a consumer proposal is having one of those loans. How does this this compare to other countries? I mean, uh, do do other jurisdictions and other systems have a different Mm -hmm. way of dealing with with insolvency and bankruptcy? They do. Uh, So a number of other jurisdictions have alternative uh, options available to no income, no asset, Uh, debtors, which are the majority of people who file for bankruptcy in Canada. And so they have options that are lower cost. And also in, for example, Europe, there's the availability of citizens advice bureaus where you can go and say, these are my problems. What are your recommendations? And these are government funded neutral advisors. We don't have anything like that here. Um, We don't have a separate system for no income, no asset debtors to file. And there's often a misconception that so-called poor people don't have debts. They do have debts, and they often have a lot of debt, and not always by choice. For example, uh, they might have government payment overpayments from government programs, and we saw that with CERB. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are experiencing that right now. They might have government fines, um, other that we, we saw the whole panhandling fine issue, Um, Many people have student loans, some of which are are dischargeable in bankruptcy, some of them are not. So they're not always, uh, debt isn't always the product of uh, prosperity or growth. It can also be something that people turn to as part of their social safety net. How important is it to acknowledge that? Because you can imagine there are some people who are listening who are saying, Mm-hmm. Well, I'm sorry, you got yourself into this problem. You overspent, you used the credit card, you knew you didn't have the money, yeah. you put it on, right. you know, the delayed payment problem, and now you find yourself underwater. It's your issue, not 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 somebody else's to deal with. How important is it to acknowledge that, that, that that's not universally the case? I think it's crucial. It's We've created a system where you effectively cannot operate without credit. So we do need to offer some sort of relief as part of uh, our essentially ragged social safety net. And on an individual by individual basis, that might mean helping people file for bankruptcy at a reduced cost and relieving their debts and financial problems so they can improve their lives going forward. But we need a systemic kind of solution or an alternative option 
in a system that relies so deeply on uh, people using debt to, to, to get by, to pay for childcare, to pay for their education, um, to, to pay for uh, an issue that they might encounter in terms of a regulatory issue like a fine, uh, to be able to have a car to get to work in many rural areas mm. where it's not possible to get to work without a car. Um, it's, it is an important part of our social safety net. We just have a minute or so left. Do you see this as an opportunity um, as those numbers go up and, and, and perhaps will continue uh, uh-huh. as the economy remains so tough for so many people? Uh-huh. Is this the opportunity to rethink how we help those people who find themselves unable to pay those debts? Absolutely. I think this would be a great opportunity to do two things, to better regulate how people take on debt, firstly, and to second, rethink how we open up access to the bankruptcy system to offer relief to people who've taken on that debt. But as you said, the first thing is to figure out how to regulate that so people don't find themselves in debt in the first place. Correct. Stephanie, Stephanie, we'll leave it there. It's good to talk to you. This is something that's top of mind for so many Canadians. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Stephanie Banishai is a distinguished research professor at Osgoode Hall Law School. Your thoughts on this, as we say, always welcome. You can email us, thecurrent at cbc.ca. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.